I'm joined now by Ken Brocard of Burgundy Asset Management. He's one of the team that runs the St. James's Place Greater European Funds. Ken, seemingly nothing but bad news out of the Eurozone in the last 18 months, but equity markets are on the rise. What part does macroeconomic analysis play in your investment process? Um, essentially, um, our process is bottom-up, where we, we pick companies, uh, we, we construct the portfolio company by company, but we do look at the macro environment through our companies. Um, and one of the things I like to do well is to try to remain pretty agnostic on the macro. And the way I do that is I make sure that an investment thesis that we have on a company does not rely on a strong economic tailwind to work out. Um, and one, a company also that could withstand a, a macroeconomic headwind um, and, and still have the thesis turn out in the medium and long term. So what's allowed you to make good, absolute returns during a period when the Eurozone itself has been in crisis? I think there's a few things. Um, the first one, it sounds basic, but it, it's easier said than done, is to avoid incurring large losses on, on some positions. And the way we do that is with this company-by-company company focus, we make sure that we don't have companies that have excessive debt, that are overly complex, that don't have competitive advantages, uh, that have management teams that don't allocate the capital well, or companies that are overvalued. You know, we have a quality focus, but we also want to buy those companies when they're undervalued. Well, when you're looking for undervalued companies, how do you avoid the so-called value traps? I think the main way is this focus that we have on quality. And we, we really have a quite relentless process on not just quantitative aspects of analysis. Like we, we run numbers back decades when available. We analyze their annual reports in depth, including the notes. But we also pursue the qualitative aspects of the business. And what I'm getting at there is what, what, what are the barriers to entry? What are the competitive advantages and are they sustainable? And we spend a lot of time thinking about that and studying it and, and testing it with management. You've got a significant exposure to healthcare at the moment. Is that because you like the sector or you just happen to like a lot of stocks that are in healthcare? Uh, it's, it's the latter, actually. Um, uh, like anything, we don't really take a view on a sector and, and drive a top-down sector or country allocation. Uh, but the reason we, we have it is that there are a number of companies that meet our quality criteria in the healthcare sector. And when we were able to take these positions a few years ago, it was completely out of favor. So you got to buy you know, high quality pharma companies like Glaxo and Novartis. Those are our two biggest positions um, uh, at a multiple that implied they would decline forever. And in both Glaxo and Novartis's case, and this was an important part and is an important part of the thesis, they're not dependent on patented drugs in Western markets, which is where the headwinds have been. They have that, but among the farmers, if you look around the world, they're not as dependent on a couple key drugs in those markets. They have successful vaccine businesses. They have successful consumer franchises. Um, they also have great emerging markets businesses that were growing. So we got to buy um, these selective pharma companies at, you know, some of, in some cases at times single digit PE multiples with dividend yields over 5%. And even at current valuations, we still find them quite attractive. Alongside the portfolio, you keep a watch list of potential investments. What gives you the confidence to move something from being a potential to an actual investment? So yeah, this watch list, the, the, the name we have for it is our dream team. And, and, and what the dream team essentially is, is the result of 
our 13 years of cumulative experience in Europe. And when we study companies, you know, study their financials, think that it looks like a good company, go meet the C CEOs and the management, potentially meet the, you know, visit the factory and so forth. After we've determined it's a quality company, some of those companies aren't at the right valuation. So we put them on our dream team and we basically patiently wait for either market sentiment to turn negative, often because of they'll stub their toe in the short term, and then we'll opportunistically buy uh, when some of them kind of have that opportunity. And is there anything on the watch list that you never quite got around to buying? And looking back on it, you're pretty glad you didn't. Yeah, there, there's definitely examples. One of the most recent ones uh, that comes to mind is a, a Dutch company called Imtech. It's a, it's a technical service provider, an engineering type firm, an engineering services firm. And um, it's a company that was on the watch list uh, for a while. And we actually had a meeting with them. It was about a year and a half ago was the last one we had. And out of that meeting, we concluded to take it off the watch list. The reasons for it were is we, we saw a company that had a lot of the numbers on the surface looked good. Returns on capital were good. The historical growth was excellent. But because we peel the onion and kind of dig fairly deep in the analysis that we do, um, we noticed some things that looked a bit off. You know, one of them was that the revenue per employee in the unit that covered Germany and Poland um, was just too high. It was kind of too high for what they do. It was an outlier. The other thing we noticed is while profits were good, the cash flow conversion was dropping and the accounts receivable were rising um, quite a bit. Anyway, what ended up happening is it seems that they were overstating profits on a number of projects in that region and had to write them off. So it, it led to huge write-downs. Receivables were overstated. They had to do a rights issue. And kind of long story short, the stock went from around 20 euros down to 9 euros. Um, so you know, a loss avoided is is another way to it's it's another way to make sure you make money over time. And you know that that's one example. Are there many good value investment opportunities out there, given the strong run that markets have been having? We're finding some, but the the idea pipeline at the moment is it's it's not the most full it's been. But what I found through different cycles in our history is there's phases that are like this and then all of a sudden something happens in the markets or with a specific company and then an opportunity presents itself. Um, so, so the pipeline at the moment is, is, is not that full, uh, but we, we have our full dream team of companies. It's, it's uh, about a hundred companies that we are ready and waiting on and it's just a matter of a few of them uh, stubbing their toe or generally the market to get more negative and bid bid down a number of them and it's really off this dream team in times of panic where we've done the most important uh, buying. Generally we don't transact much but when the markets fall out is kind of when we take the most opportunity. You're running a concentrated portfolio just 19 stocks. How do you manage risk? The main way we manage risk is this idea of bottom-up investing. It's, it's a focus on each company. I, I'm not buying a company so it satisfies a diversification requirement or because it gives us exposure to a certain sector that the index has. It, it, each company on its own, we want to first be able to preserve capital through difficult times and compound capital over the long term. So I'd say one, it's this focus company by company on each one being a good investment, not just as a member of a portfolio. 
And second, because of this focus, because we're concentrated in the portfolio and on the dream team, we are able to spend the time, I think, on knowing those companies. We're not trying to look across all sectors, across all countries equally, across every constituent of the index. We don't really pay attention to most things. We really just want to focus on the best things and you know, really kick the tires. Uh, you know, we, over the last four years, we've done almost 600 uh, management meetings and 70% of them have been with senior management. So I think this focus and concentration and bottom-up approach lets us manage risk. What's your attitude to cash in the portfolio? Again, it's very much a bottom-up attitude. So if we have companies that surpass their intrinsic value, we'll sell them, cash will rise. If we don't have a new idea to buy yet, the cash stays where it is, and you know when we buy, it goes down. Uh, that being said, if you looked at us historically, um, the highest cash we've ever had is about 15%. Um, and right now cash is, is, is lower uh, in this account. Um, it's really just a bottom-up uh, process. And I think it does speak to the breadth of our dream team that cash has peaked in our whole 13-year history at only 15%. Because there's usually something that happens in the markets that gives us some opportunity. Why hold on to the cash? Why not just spread it between all the other holdings in the portfolio? It, it, that's a good question. It's something that we obviously think about because it, it's an option that we could take. The reason I don't is it's kind of, it's creating transactions that aren't necessarily needed. Um, it's much more of a true bottom-up process if a sale results in cash and then you, know, you, you buy when a new opportunity comes rather than prorate of buying the rest of the portfolio. That being said, there could be times where there could be particular holdings where we think the margin of safety is especially attractive and if the weight already isn't at a very high weight to reflect that, we could take it up. But I, do, I don't have a policy of selling and then prorate of buying. I, I like to minimize transactions and basically focus on having the right companies in the portfolio and the right companies out of the portfolio. Why should investors be confident in giving their money to Burgundy for the next few years? I think the main reason is that we've always had the same approach. Um, over the 13 years we've invested in Europe, the firm's been investing for well over 20 years, um, starting in North America and around the world. Our approach has worked over different parts of the cycle. We've outperformed other investors in the market most in tough markets, but we've also outperformed pretty reasonably through expansion phases of the market. Um, and in fact, in looking backwards, there's only one year we underperformed in 2005 uh, by a bit. Um, I don't know that I'd project that we'd only underperform one in the next 13 years. That, that, that's a tough bar, but I think this dream team that we're ready to act on decisively um, and, and the on-the-ground work we do with our companies lets us uh, find opportunities. Kim Brokart, thank you very much. Thank you. Any views and opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals and are subject to change. Where individual securities are mentioned, they do not necessarily represent a specific portfolio holding and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase or sell. Please be aware that past performance is not indicative of future performance. The value of an investment may fall as well as rise and you may get back less than you invested. Returns on equities cannot be guaranteed. Equities do not provide the security of capital characteristic of a deposit with a bank or building society.